Bill, you take all your stuff with you next time. This is my pulpit. Soon to be replaced, I'm afraid. But anyway, we won't get into that. Uh, July 1st, we're going to celebrate the 4th. But we are going to have a bluegrass band from California. <laughs> Don't mix, I know. <laughs> but, so, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Chris, Chelsea Moon, not Crystal. Chelsea Moon, uh, you might pull her down on the net, listen to some of her music. She's very good. And They're going to be here. July 1st, a Sunday evening, and do a little concert for us. So circle that date. We want to uh, make sure we welcome them and open our homes to them and enjoy a time with them. So today, June 3rd, we start Genesis 1. How long do you think it'll take us to get through Genesis? I'm only going to cover one verse today, by the way. <laughs> it could be a while, but what an awesome trip it is to go through the Scriptures. Genesis answers one of the basic questions of any rational thinking human being. Why was I created and why am I here? And since... I was created, what is my responsibility to my Creator? Part of that answer is in the last book of the Bible, Revelations 4.11, which says we were created for God's own good pleasure. So we know that we were created for fellowship with God and to bring Him pleasure. Genesis simply means beginnings. Not the beginning of God. God is eternal. God is ever existing. But the beginning of creation. God creating our world, our universe, basically creating matter. A recent cosmologist theory has declared that dark matter or unseen matter comprises over 98% of our universe. Perhaps that 98% is our invisible God. So science declares our universe is almost completely invisible. That's interesting to say the least, but I'll let the cosmologists work all that out. If you happen to have a chronological Bible, Genesis 1 is not the beginning of your Bible, it's John 1. And in John 1, 3, uh, let me read you three verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Now, even if you subscribe to the Big Bang Theory, and that's exactly what it is, a theory, God 
Our Lord Jesus was there before anything existed. Before any manner, matter came into being, Jesus was there. And in that John 1 uh, passage there, it, it speaks of a designer and our world being created by a designer. And our Lord Jesus is that ultimate designer. You and I, mankind, are God's ultimate creation. We are the top of His creation. Genesis, for me, is not a science book, although there's much science laid out uh, in the first 11 chapters in particular. But I consider Genesis the all-time history book. Genesis, written by Moses, and like any other book of the Bible, totally Holy Spirit inspired. How did Moses accumulate his information? Well, much of it was handed down by the patriarchs and so forth, back when lifespans were very long, and then there was you know, less chance of uh, the, their stories being distorted in that. But there was also written records that Moses used that primarily uh, told about the creation. But the Holy Spirit himself directed Moses the same way he directs all the writers of Scripture. Genesis records creation. It also records the fall of man from grace into sin. And then it records the redemption of man. Genesis is about Jesus. And for that matter, all of Scripture is about Jesus. After Jesus arose from the grave in Luke 24, we have the Emmaus Road story or teaching. And it says that Jesus beginning at Moses, he went way back to the Torah. He went all the way back to Moses' writing and Jesus expounded in all the scriptures to the disciples he was walking with how they were about him. Wouldn't you have loved to heard that teaching? But in Genesis we see Jesus as creator. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first verse grabs our attention because in Genesis 1, the Hebrew word for God is what we call a compound unity. Elohim is the Hebrew word, and it's three or more persons working in one uh, will or as one thought going forth. Example, when Elohim declared, let us make man in our image, he made man a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. And the word Elohim is used now. Now there's two other Hebrew words for God that are not used in that first verse. El, E-L, 
which is God singular. And then there's Allah, which is dual or two-part God. And neither one of those are used, but it's Elohim, three or more. So Elohim, in the very first verse of Scripture, points out to us the Trinity of God. Don't let any of those who do not believe in the Trinity say it's never found in Scripture. It's found in the first verse, Elohim. God in three parts. So, it's also noteworthy for us to look at the word used for creation in the first verse. And that word for creation there is bara. It means to create from nothing or to speak into existence. There's another word that is used from verse 2 on for creation, and that is osa. And it simply means reforming matter that was already there. But the very first word in Genesis 1 for creation is to speak into existence. And in verse 1, we have a foregone conclusion by God that He exists. He says, I exist. I don't have to defend that. I don't have to explain that. In the beginning, God. But you know, man, in their pride, want to put God, or try to put God, into a test tube. They want God, they want the Bible, to give proof that God exists. But God feels no pressure, <laughs> none whatsoever to explain Himself. No need for God to declare things that are beyond our comprehension. Know this, God gives us everything He wants to know, us to know about Him in Scripture. All he wants us to know about him, he has recorded. God does explain his pre-existence, how he was before everything existed, or anything existed, I should say. And that is in John 1. Before anything was, Jesus was there as the Word, as the designer. Creation happens to be the most Singular proof of God. There are over, and I got out my concordance to look these up, and I got tired of counting. There's well over a thousand references in Scripture to God being our Creator. Over a thousand. Make, maker, designer, you know, creator, creates, and so forth. Over a thousand. I think God wants us to know that He was the creator of everything around us. Everything that man understands and knows points to a creator. A beginning. The beginning of order. Which brings us to the second law of thermodynamics. 
And that law says that everything around us, it's a law, it's not a theory, is moving from order to disorder. It's going from good to bad. Decay, rot, and rust have their effects. Which only affirms, it only points to this one truth that there had to be a start, a beginning of order. Because the second law of thermodynamics says everything's going downhill. Somebody, someone, some divine being had to create matter and start it in order. And the God simply says, it was me. I did it. <laughs> but man, he chafes at that declaration by God. And you have to ask yourself, why does that offend man? And not all men, of course, but uh, a lot of people. Because as a logical human being, if I admit to myself that this universe and me was created by God, then I owe him allegiance. And man is not willing to admit that God is their creator or the creator of this universe because they do not want to give God allegiance. We live and exist in a world of design and order. Evolutionists, they like to use certain terms, and one of their very popular terms is fortuitous chance. Yeah, don't you love that? Fortuitous chance and time, with that, with that little phrase, they can have anything they want just come about. With enough time and chance, everything good can happen. Well, that goes against the second law of thermodynamics that everything is deteriorating. Let me tell you a little story. It's a homemade story, so don't shoot it down before you hear it. <laughs> you have an adventurous child. And this child of yours has rented a sailboat, and he's going to sail the seven seas. But he or she, they turn up missing. But being very wealthy, you rent a search plane. And you begin to search for that child, and you begin to go back to their last known location. And it happens to be near a deserted island. It's my story. Just bear with me, all right? So you fly over this island with your little plane and you're looking for any signs of life. And there on the beach, to your pleasant surprise, you see a bunch of rocks and they're washed up on the beach and they spell out in bold letters S-O-S. -S. But you can't accept that. Because your scientific mind says, that is just fortuitous chance. So you continue to fly around looking for your child. That SOS that you saw was simply evolution. Is that not absurd? 
you would see that SOS and immediately you would know, hey, that is probably my child signaling for help. That SOS, as simplistic as that is, had a designer, a simple letter on the beach. Someone had to fashion those letters. Now, I will admit that given enough time and chance, SOS in rocks could wash up on a beach. But if I'm flying in a plane over that island looking for my lost child, my reasoning, my mind tells me my child is down there and I'm going to look for them. Compare that to modern evolutionists who fly past much greater proofs and signs than a SOS on a beach. How about life itself that they ignore? Where did it come from? Walking, talking, breathing, rational human beings declare out to a evolutionist that God created us. And any rational being understands creation versus evolution is this. It's a matter of the heart. Not a matter of proof. And that happens to be God's position on creation and on the position that He exists. In Psalm 14 we read, and the psalmist has captured this. I really like these kind of verses. He's captured the reality of God or not the reality of God. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 14, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> fool there means fool. And the literal meaning is stupid thinking. Stupid thinking says there is no God. That verse tells us God's thoughts about man's theories. You're a fool if you don't believe in me. Now this one I want you to turn to. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. and We'll look at a few verses in Romans chapter 1. Amazing verses. We'll look at verses 18 through 22. And we have God speaking about Himself and basically what man believes. Romans 1, verse 18 through 22. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, 
but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Isn't it amazing? God doesn't hesitate to call man a fool. Unrighteous men and women who suppress the truth of creation, God wants to talk to them. He wants to reason with them. And he says, I, God, have made known to you, I have manifested my invisible attributes to each and every person, and they are clearly seen and understood by all created beings. Even the eternal Godhead, the power of his Godhead, and his divine nature. God says, man, you are without excuse if you do not believe in me. <clears throat> in this passage, God has said, I have not depended upon someone to teach you the scriptures. I have not depended upon some good children's church teacher, or I have not even depended upon godly parents. Because God says, I have shown you, I have manifested to you. Verse 21 continues, because although they knew God, they have known the truth, and they have made their choice, and their choice has been to reject the truth. The unrighteous have chosen not to glorify God as God, and then it says something a little peculiar, nor have they been thankful. Thankful of what? Thankful for being created in the likeness of their God. Thankful for the reason, the answers, why I am here and why was I created. That is something to be thankful for. That takes the edge off of life. To know why you were created and the reason you were created takes a lot of searching away. <laughs> Come on, my goodness. But rejection of God by a person in their thinking process, they deem themselves logical, but they reject God, and that is not new. That's old as the hills, they say. From the time that sin entered into this world, man has sought ways to excuse himself from the moral responsibility of serving his creator. Roman declares it. The foolish hearts were darkened. God gives that foolish person over to themselves. For it says, professing to be wise, they became fools. So do we have an example of this in Scripture? Yes, we do. Esau. Esau is a prime example of knowing and rejecting the, the truth manifested to a person by God. Esau, he was raised in a God-fearing home. Isaac, 
and Rebecca as parents, patriarchs. From early childhood, Esau has had the privilege of being taught the things of God. He was raised in the truth. Jacob, his twin brother, and Esau were brought up in the same home. They were exposed to God's ways, his characteristics from their youth. Jacob chose and desired God's blessings upon his life. Esau, the exact opposite. And in Genesis 25, uh, 29 through 34, if you want to look there, I'm going to read that passage for you. It talks about uh, Jacob and Esau there. Genesis 25, 29 through 34. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom, which means red. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthday, birthright rather, as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold him his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew and lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. But don't overlook this now. Thus, this is a little commentary by the writer Moses. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau, he asked the question, What profit shall this birthright be to me? Esau, not doing what he knows is right before God, but Esau's question is, What's in it for me? Esau clearly knows right from wrong. He knew the responsibility that was upon him as the firstborn. He knew the responsibility that God expected of him. Not only for himself, but for his people and for his family. But Esau is a self-centered, selfish person. And he has a horrible attitude of what's in it for me. And that kind of person, that type of person, is of no value to God or his family. So we have, when the dust clears, God making his statement about the whole situation. And God says, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. Strong words. Esau had been given every opportunity to be a righteous man, to be a reasonable, responsible person, even a patriarch. But what does Esau have recorded about him? It's recorded that he despised his birthright. Despise is a very harsh word. It simply means to hate unconditionally. A total hatred. 
Therefore, God, without apology, says of Esau, Hey, I have hated you. That happens to be God's attitude to anyone who knowingly rejects his self-revealed truth, which we read about in Romans 1.24. God has a judgmental conclusion of any person who rejects the truth of creation. God gives that person over to an unclean heart. Now that may not seem like a earth-shattering thing, but out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaks. Everything you do in life is dictated by your heart. Your heart will lead you to do good works. Your heart will lead you to be a criminal. Your heart will cause you to love this person or dislove or unlove another person. We are led by the heart. And God gives a person that does not believe in his creation, he gives them over to an unclean heart that person will be of no value to anyone because that person has exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And they have worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. You might say God is a little touchy about whether or not you believe that he is creator. <laughs> I think he is. An evolutionist, they cry out in the face of truth, God, you are a liar. Because the scriptures from the beginning to the end, over a thousand references, declares that God is creator. Let me conclude with this. Who is man to deny God and his word? Only a fool would dare to do that. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.